0: You're listening to How I Sell, a podcast built for early career sales professionals. You'll hear stories, best practices, and guidance from top sales leaders on what it takes to become a sales superstar. Today's episode is made possible by Ramp Careers. Ramped is on a mission to build the next generation of workforce-ready talent. Joining us today is Lauren Hudson, Director of Sales at Vena Solutions. Thank you, Lauren, for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: And of course, uh, pleasure is ours. Uh, for those that don't know who you are, who is Lauren Hudson?
1: <laughs> Loaded question. I live in Toronto. I grew up in. I'm Canadian. Grew up on the west coast of Canada in Calgary, Alberta. Um, and I am the director of sales now at Venice Solutions. So we are a financial technology platform. Um, actually, Canadian founded as well, but have kind of gone now global. So yeah, that's a, a good summary, well, I think. W-
0: welcome, welcome you as the as the first Canadian we've had on season one of the podcast. No uh, way. It's amazing. Super exciting. Super exciting. Uh, you know, another question along those lines, right? You've, you've shared a little bit about your your, your your professional background, but how did you get there? Let's go back in time and where everything started.
1: Oh, my. Okay. First and foremost, I grew up in a big family. I've There's four kids in my family. Um, I have amazing, you know, wonderful parents and siblings that always taught me the value of a dollar, I guess, if you will. I remember when I was 11 12 cell phones were becoming a thing and i was dying i was dying to get one and i remember my mom saying like if you want one you have to get a job and pay for it like this is not you know nothing's free so kind of an aside there but basically i think i got to the position i'm at because i was constantly pushed by my parents uh to be independent to um work really hard you know things are not just given to you in life you know they were always really supportive but they really pushed me to earn my own money from a really young age if i wanted to do things that um if if I wanted things, if I wanted to do things that was on me, uh, Mm -hmm. to figure it out. And then I think from there, you know, as a lot of salespeople will probably say, uh, it was an accident. (laughs) I did not really understand sales. Uh, I had always planned on, you know, going to university, I wanted to be a lawyer. And that's what my plan was. And now looking back, I have no idea why. I think it was just a bucket that I felt like, you know, would lead to me being successful and kind of stumbled into sales and figured out I was good at it. So I think, you know, I was, I was also lucky to have a dad who built his career in sales. So he kind of guided me and said, you know, you should try it. I still didn't really know what it meant. Um, like again, sales is kind of this mystery of what does it really mean? What do you really do? You, know, you get the greasy car salesman mentality. <laughs> but I kind of fell into it and ended up being being good at it, and that's where I found my passion. Um, and now have kind of also developed a passion for leadership within the realm of sales. Don't know if that actually answered your question, but. <laughs>
0: No, it does. It does. You've you've dropped a, a few few nuggets of wisdom. One is I think it's incredibly mature to understand at a at a relatively young age that that, that nothing is, is is free in life and you'd have to work hard for it. Um, you know, I've had my parents tell me the same thing, but I didn't really grasp it for the longest time. I was a terrible child and <laughs> Uh, another funny thing is I'm actually a lawyer by training and here we are talking about sales. So who I know. you could have gone to law school and we would have still ended up having the same conversation. Uh, I know. That's true. That's amazing. But 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 tell me a little more though, because you you mentioned something you said, no one really knows what sales. So what is sales, though? I mean, the way you look at it? How do you how would you define Mm -hmm. it?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Something I've been thinking about, you know, over the last little while, I think sales is ultimately when you break it down to the core, it is helping people find things to make their life better. And that for me was an important revelation because even going into sales, I felt like, is this an important enough job? Am I making a difference in the world? Like kind of questions that were leading me to wondering if I was in the right career path. And I think that really is what it is. You're, you're, there are so many different options in the sales world of companies you can work for and products available. And there are so many niche challenges that there are different products to solve for. And I think that's really what sales is. You're, you're trying to help people find something that's going to make their life better. And, you know, i particularly work with the finance world, so mm-hmm. you know finance teams, CFOs, etc. and product we sell genuinely does improve their life and it improves their company. and that's what that's when it be, that's when you realize the importance of the sales role to the economy and to the world is because um, you are you are driving the economy, you are helping people to find a product or a service that's going to make their lives better and ultimately boosting their business. Um, as well. So at the core of it, I think that's what it is. It's really helping people find something that they need. Yeah,
0: it's interesting that you bring that up. And I say that because you've shifted the frame of reference from sales is, you know, something that an organization needs to do to unload its product or service onto the market and changed the perspective and almost made it kind of prospect centric and customer centric. Um, and that's a really interesting perspective to have. I think folks that are kind of starting out their careers often don't think about it in those lines, right? Because you have the the, the, the realistic um, pressures of having to book a certain number of meetings or hit a certain number, you know, a certain dollar target. And I think you kind of lose context of the customer and the process. You're just trying to desperately hit some yeah. revenue goal. When did this click for you though? Like, was there something that you developed recently? Is this something you picked mm-hmm. up early? How did you arrive at this conclusion?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think I spent a lot of time thinking about it because I did kind of have a moment of um, doubt, I guess, in my sales career. And I was talking to my dad and saying, you know, like, I'm not sure that I'm making enough of a difference. or I don't know. I was, you know, having those conversations and he kind of said, well, you know, you're contributing to the economy and you are, you know, that's your way to contribute to the world. And then Kind of moving from there, I started to realize in my daily conversations, when I was a BDR, when I was an account executive, the product that... I was selling had a lot of value. And then I, you know, I started to take pride in understanding that I'm not calling them to make money. Yes. If I make money as a byproduct, great. I'm calling them because I have a valuable product that's going to help them be successful and going Mm -hmm. to help their business flourish. And I think as soon as I started to realize that I was calling them with value um, and that they should take the time to listen because this is going to help improve their business. Obviously, you know, sometimes you still get hung up on and people are going to be assholes and that's just the world, but uh, once you start to take pride in what you sell, I think if people can tell. I think they start to realize that you know you're not calling them, begging them for time. You're calling them, saying this is worth your time, and if you're good at your job, you should listen to me.
0: And mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm sure your your prospects and your customers kind of value that perspective of yours, uh, because in some ways. It might very well define how you sell um, mm-hmm. if you have that context uh, or that perspective in mind. But you know, you mentioned that at 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 one point professionally, you started to question um, whether sales is for you. Uh, so dig into it a little more, because I think. I think people get to that point at a certain stage in their life, some earlier, some later, yeah. some folks multiple times. What are some of the reasons why you felt that way? Was it completely driven by you kind of questioning having an existential, I am gonna call it a crisis, <laughs> but existential question about like, what's my impact on the world? Or was yeah. it did you just have like a bad quarter or a bad month at work? Like what, what yeah. brought you there?
1: Both, both of those have happened in my career, um, you know, first and foremost, I did talk a little bit about the existential crisis, um, but that did happen where I was, you know, I was really questioning, because I think I had these I hopes for for what I was going to do, and I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be a social justice lawyer, and I wanted to, like, help the world. That was my, I kind of had this idealistic view of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I got over that pretty quickly uh, <laughs> by realizing that, again, the, the job I was doing was valuable, and it's more about the impact you have on your the circle that you're with. You don't necessarily, you know, the way that you make your mark on the world is through the people that you interact with, not necessarily like, you know, this giant stamp that you have. Um, And then, you know, the second part, yeah, I definitely had horrible quarters or, um, you know, I hated being a BDR. I hated it, but I was good at it, and I remember thinking, like I was talking to my mom, and I said, you know, I wish I was just like good at coding because, you know, you go in and you code and you go home, and I know it's not that simple. <laughs> now, now I know it's not that simple, but I always wish I had a really um, a specific talent. I guess it's like, why am I not just good at, you know, being an engineer or being a, a coder? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's tiring because sales, a lot of your talent lies in your personality and you have to constantly use your personality and that's exhausting. So I had, I definitely had moments of that where I was a BDR just thinking, I know I'm, I know I'm doing well at this, but do I actually enjoy it? Not really. Mm -hmm. And, and for me, it was like, get through my time as a business development rep. Now I look back at it fondly and I can see that I did enjoy parts of it, but during it, I really didn't like it. And as soon as I moved on from that position into other parts of the sales cycle, that's when I realized like, okay, this is just you have to get past that that part of your career to get to the good stuff. And that's where you learn and it's foundational, you absolutely need to do it. But that's not all of your sales career is not going to be spent, you know, being hung up on and feeling exhausted all the time from trying to knock down the door and talk to people. So I think getting past that blip was important for me. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I like that you bring that up, because in many ways, now that you lead and manage A multitude of folks, including BDRs, uh, I almost feel like you can empathize with them in ways that someone that didn't have the experience wouldn't be able to empathize with, where if someone had a stellar experience as a BDR and enjoys just being hung up on and loved it. And they were managing a team of 30, 40, you know, young, fresh sales professionals that have terrible days. And they come up pointing <laughs> to them. They said, I hate my job. I hate my life. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you can empathize with them a little bit. I was actually having a conversation with someone yesterday and uh, had a terrible two months in a row, new job. And. Uh, Is contemplating quitting sales and saying, I'm just gonna go be a product manager because this is not worth it, right? Because the challenge is, and I'd love to kind of pick your thoughts on it and 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 tell me how you mentor or coach when people come to you uh with because I didn't quite know what to say. So this person comes Mm -hmm. up and they, you know, they've they've been successful so far. And up until you get your first job, you measure success by uh, grades that you get in college or you know, let's some some social status that you have because you have a great Instagram profile, but you find other ways to have, of coming up with self-worth, right? But the second right. you get a job, your self-worth is defined by, do you hit your numbers? And are you recognized by your boss and your coworkers? The problem with sales is if you don't hit your numbers, yeah, it's kind of hard, right? And and it's, it's especially taxing for early career folks, because they don't have a benchmark. This is new. And it's a shock to you, to their system. So my question to you is, you know, when folks come up to you, and, and, and they bring up these challenges, and they're at the cusp of wanting to quit sales, like, what do you tell them? Has this happened before? Have, have mm-hmm. your reps come to you with just, oh, you yeah. know, big questions? Like, I I don't know what I'm doing with my life.
1: And so It's oftentimes like the best reps who worry the most, because they want to be the best. And they have this desire for perfection, which is never going to happen in sales you're definitely never going to be perfect and it's interesting because i think when you in my role so i was prior to my current position as director of sales i was director of business development so i was working exclusively with um business development reps and Mm -hmm. you know by the time that i left that position i had 48 business development reps on that team and you get the the whole gamut with a team that size and i think having conversations when people are earlier in their careers it's about understanding are you quitting because you're you're tired and maybe you had a bad day, or are you wanting to quit because you actually feel like you're not in the right role? And I think with sales, you can sort of in that first year, I mean, stick it out, try and stick it out, spend your year, I would say. And also, I mean, there's so many things that go into that, because if you're not at the right company mm-hmm. and you don't have the right support, you might not be you know, able to see whether sales is for you or not. And I had my, my very first job. Uh, was a really small company. I was in a sales role, but I had I had no management. we had no technology. we had no training. I was literally like calling one eight hundred numbers, trying to get in touch with the VP at Starbucks. like, just ridiculous. Now looking back, it was completely impossible to do the job. So when I came to my current company as a business development rep, it was for me to test my chops and see whether I had what it took Mm -hmm. with the right support and the right company and a good product to see if I, you know, was actually good at sales. So I would say make sure that you're at the right company, that you have a manager who supports you, that you have the right um, enablement and then stick it out for that, for that year. And you're going to go through battles, you know, mental exhaustion. If it's not for you though, it's not for you. And that's Mm -hmm. something I try to, I guess, uncover with business development reps who are in their, their first or second job, it's usually their first sales job, they probably haven't identified whether sales is for them or not. And I, you know, I try to encourage them to understand that if after six, nine, 12 months, you are really not, you've tried everything you can, you've put in every piece of effort that you have, and you're not finding success, then it's okay. If sales isn't for you, there's kind of this, once you're, once you're in sales, you sort of feel this, like, Oh my God, I I have to be good. And it's my fault. I'm not good. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's just not for you. So I'd say there's sort of two paths there. One is if it's not for you and you're early on and you're fresh out of university, maybe you, you know, want to consider a different path Mm -hmm. and it's okay to identify that and move on. And then the other path is just, you're going to have really bad days. I almost quit. Well, I shouldn't say I almost quit. I thought about quitting a lot in my first year and I, you know, like I'd go to the bathroom and have a little cry, and then come back to my desk. Yeah. Um, because it's just it's tiring. It's really hard. So I think you but you have to push through it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That was mm-hmm. a bit of a, a, a ramble there, but hopefully no, it wasn't. I, mean, I,
0: I, I it makes so much sense. Thank you for keeping it real, because see the challenges. Someone will look up look you up on LinkedIn, and all they see is just success after success. I mean, this person has has made it right, and yeah. no one really knows about the ups and downs and that it's it's normal to have a bad day or a bad week or a bad month and mm-hmm. it's normal to feel like maybe it's not for me and, it, and if you yeah. feel that way here are some things that you can do you know stick it out and ask yourself is it because of me am I not doing the best that I can or have I been dealt a crappy deck of cards is there something is there no process in place or have we not yeah. figured out messaging or maybe what we have is a product that the world doesn't need I mean there's so many things that could come exactly yeah. Let me ask you a tactical question, though, because I, I do agree with you. I think that there's a, there's a good chunk of folks that may very well have great professional careers in sales that end up quitting because they may have just stumbled upon the wrong company, the wrong boss, the wrong time one too many times in a row. So from a tactical perspective, if I'm applying for a job and I have the a- opportunity to interview with you know, a person, two people, mm-hmm. how can you figure it out? Or how do you develop? Because I think now you have a good pulse, but early on, yeah. what advice do you have for folks that are interviewing to get a pulse of, do these folks know what they're doing? Or is this going to be a shit show for the lack of a better word?
1: <laughs> totally. And I, yeah, I mean, going into my first job, Um, I had no idea because in my mind, you know, rose colored glasses, I was like, Oh, this is a cool tech company. And, you know, I'll figure it out. You kind of have this mentality. I'll figure it out, but you do need support. So I think in, in an interview process, something to remember is that when you are interviewing, you are, you are also interviewing them to see if they're the right fit for you. Yes. You're going in and you're trying to present yourself the best that you possibly can to receive an offer. Um, but you really have to suss out whether that company, manager, leadership team is going to be right for you. So I think pushing them on, of course, you want to ask earnestly. You don't want to be going in and being like, Hey, what's your training program? Like, is it, <laughs> is it good enough for me? But asking what type of enablement do you have? What does training and enablement look like at your team and on your team? Um, and then if it is your direct manager who you're interviewing with asking them, how do you find, you know, how do you work with your team members that you have now, um what type of structure do you follow as a leader for them and those things can help you identify whether they've thought about it or not um i think you can quickly poke holes if they're like oh training and enablement we have we you know we have we have a two-week onboarding program and you'll be good. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, you know, then you wonder, they really care about ongoing support and enablement and that's where you start to uh, poke holes. So I think it sounds really simple, but just asking questions around it, you can identify whether it's something that they think about often and whether they have a well-thought-out answer and whether it's genuine.
0: No, no, that makes, that makes sense. One of the things that, you know, I've started suggesting folks to do is, you know, reach out to other SDRs, BDRs and talk to them. That's a great Send idea. Send them a note, say, hey how are you doing? Because you're right. The challenge is that you kind of have to maintain a balance, right? If you ask too many questions, you come off as too inquisitive. You don't want to shoot yourself in the foot. Yeah. Then on the other hand, I'm thinking, man, if you're like a, you know, SDR manager or a director level person and you're offended because a 20 something year old is asking questions to determine whether they're going to have a meaningful shot to succeed, it's on you. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I struggle with that a little bit. I'm, 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 I want to ask I want to tell these folks that you know we train and we say, just ask these questions. it's okay and yeah. you can be polite about it, right? Put it on you. say, I want to be really successful. yeah, but exactly. I know nothing about selling to CFOs, right Yeah, how would I learn? like well, how is your best rep learned? Uh, how have yeah. you taught them
1: right? And I think what you said about talking to a BDR who works at the company, that's something we used to do in our interview process would be 15 minutes with a BDR, not, not a team lead, not a manager, not, you know, but someone who's actually in the position, maybe they've only been there for three or four months Mm -hmm. Um, and we would get them 15 minutes to spend in a room, you know, no one else is in there. They can talk candidly. And we, because we also wanted people coming onto our team to understand the challenges, that you're going to face, and that mm-hmm. we're in a really fast-growing tech company, and it's ever evolving. So I think um, that's something that you could ask in the interview process. Is I would love to to speak to someone who's, you know, doing the job. Is there any opportunity for me to have that conversation, or just reach out to them on your, on your own on mm-hmm.
0: LinkedIn? Mm-hmm. No, I think that's 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 great advice. And one of the things that I you know that I've been wanting to ask you is is it it looks like you you give. Respect where it's due to good training, good onboarding, and I've 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 seen that uh, from 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 what I see online. Can you share a little more about what the hallmarks are for good onboarding and training program? Tough
1: question. I mean, I think it has to be very practical. For me personally, I find that a lot of training and onboarding is like is quite philosophical, and uh, you know, you do like a personality test, and all that stuff is good to know. <laughs> But really like, how do you do the job? How, what do I do on day one? How do I start? Because that's, I think the gap that's missing with a lot of sales training programs is that you go through this whole, you know, two to three week, four week onboarding program. And then you start on day one and you don't know how to log into Salesforce and you don't know how to create a report. And those things have to be ingrained in the onboarding program, alongside your value messaging and where you fit in the market and your origin story. That has to all be kind of amalgamated into one. Mm-hmm. So for me, uh, practicality is really important in everything that I do. I um, when I you know when I started to build out the onboarding program at Venna, that was something that I found was a gap. We didn't have a practical training program. Mm-hmm. We had great training on where we came from why our product came to be, um, a lot of the, you know, the value, I understood the value of our product, but I didn't know how to have a cold call. I didn't know how to do a cold call mm-hmm. on my first day. So that's where, for me, I started to, to find that gap and then built started building it out myself. Um, you know, like what is, give me a sample of a cold call. What is mm-hmm. an objection that we get um, how do you create a report in Salesforce? And how do you target accounts? Which accounts do you pick out of a thousand? Those types of things uh, are really important.
0: That's actually super helpful. Um, I, I think folks sometimes focus too much on the on the theoretical and not on the practical, uh, yeah. or too much on the practical without any context. You know, one of the one of the challenging pieces, is, I think, and and I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on it, um, is is selling into buyers that think are a little more complex then because some products are fairly straightforward like I feel like you know email automation you can sell customer success software maybe but once you start selling it to the CFOs of the world the CIOs of the world right I mean who, most folks don't know what FPNA is right but then you're tasked with selling <laughs> what you know, <laughs> they, they know. I know. <laughs> uh, or maybe it's just me uh that, that'd be no wonderful. I had no
1: I I'd never heard the term in my life before I started Avena so I get it
0: Uh, but, but then how do you, do you, would you incorporate that into part of your, part of your training is, is to some level functional, you know, knowledge drop on, Hey, this is what in plain English, what FBNA means. Is that part of the equation?
1: 100%. And that's a huge, that was a huge part of, uh, the, again, a gap in the training that I found was like, what pains do these people experience every day? We're selling the software, but like, what does their world look like without it? And why is it, and why is that so bad? So I think having, building a lot of empathy for your customer is crucial because if you don't have that, you have no drive. Again, it comes back to um, helping people find products that are gonna improve their lives. If you don't know what pain they're experiencing today that you're gonna solve for, and not only just the pain they're experiencing, but thinking about like, oh my God, imagine if that was your job and you're spending in, you know, in the product we're selling, hours and hours and hours auditing Excel spreadsheets and copying and pasting and being so scared that you made a mistake. Mm. Um, those, you know, really putting yourself in their position and thinking about what that would feel like, um, helps you again, understand the value of what you're selling and feel good about, about trying to have those conversations. So that's a huge component. And that was one of, we kind of had these like four pillars of training and one of the pillars was understanding our customer and their world, um, before, you know, even talking about what we do.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the 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 specificity with which you just shared an example to, to explain what empathy for your customer means is super helpful. And I say that because oftentimes you hear a lot of this on LinkedIn. So some days I don't want to log on because there's so much chat about, you know, oh, I'm going to be empathetic towards my customer. And the extent of your empathy is... COVID's changed the world. I hope I hope you have your job. Or I'm like, cut that, cut that nonsense. It's like yeah. not really empathy. because uh, you haven't like done the actual work of, of understanding. What your customer pain points are. it's hard because how are you gonna know uh, and does someone yeah. teach you that
1: yeah exactly
0: that that's that's amazing you know the so much is changing in sales i, I think even six, five years ago uh the way you sell core core philosophies core concepts aside um the way you sell is changing one of the things that you know we've seen is that a lot of b2b buyers expect a b2c experience um mm-hmm. mostly because that's how they're living you know their daily lives do you have a take uh, and I'd love to hear hear it if you have one, on where you think sales and BD is going to go in the next five years. Do you see change happening?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I, I definitely see that trend and we see that in our business as well, sort of this desire for a B2C experience, being able to self-serve, um, you know, being a, a lot of people want to go on the website and buy the product um, or, you know, do a free trial and those types of things are very B2C. Mm-hmm. you know, type of experience. So it's something that we're adapting to uh, and thinking about in terms of, I think I think trying to, hmm, how do I phrase this? Trying to avoid that is stupid. <laughs> For lack of a better word, I'm like, how can I say this in a more intelligent way? <laughs> I can't. Trying to avoid the natural evolution of the world and the industry that you're in and your profession is just, It's un, it's completely unavoidable. And if you don't embrace it, um, you're going to fall behind. So I think looking at the way things are moving, understanding how that's going to benefit um, benefit your profession and how you can kind of um, evolve within that is important. I don't think we're ever going to lose the human part of sales personally, which maybe I'm out to lunch. But from what I see every day, people are still buying from people. They want to trust you. They want to understand that you're, you know, a good person. And this good person is saying this product is good. And I trust this person specifically. I don't, you know, you can read as many reviews on a website as you want, but talk, I think everybody still has the desire to talk to a human, Mm -hmm. even, you know, think about calling into a customer support line and you get the operator and you're clicking through like 40 buttons. Half the time, I'm just clicking zero. I'm like, give me a human (laughs) because I know that they can solve my problem. Um, And you want that that contact. So from my perspective, I don't think we're gonna lose that element. Um, And I think sales professionals will always be a critical part of creating trust um, and building value. Um, But I certainly see that products are gonna have to evolve to be a balance between B2B and have some B2C elements, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I I, I think I I share your sentiment there. Uh, Definitely think that there's going to be the need for uh, for for some human human interaction intervention, uh, I do think that a lot of product awareness is now built through marketing, and yeah. the actual process of getting it from awareness to purchase is where you're going to need you know some or more human intervention. You know, it's unlikely; f- it happens sometimes, but I'm not sure if it's very likely for someone you know sitting next to their phone and they get a phone call and that's when they learn about for the first time. Uh, it's very difficult, right? Because people's mm-hmm. immediate instinct would be to go online and and do some research. And I think it's all good for awareness. But to your point, um, you know, tailoring it to your problem at that specific point of time and moving from awareness to purchase uh, certainly seems like uh, seems like something that you know a human being is 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 probably better equipped uh, to deal with. Thanks for that perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'll ask you one one last question uh, to, to be respectful of your time. And this mm-hmm. is one of our favorite questions. If you could go back in time and that met, meta <laughs> met version of yourself, it's six and a half, seven years ago, uh, with everything that you've learned, what would uh, one piece of advice uh, be that you'd give yourself? And you can only give yourself one piece of advice and you have to go back and oh you know, go forward in time.
1: Good question. Okay. I would say, um, pr- well, professionally, <laughs> personally, I'd say the ombre trend in your hair is going to go out of style. and <laughs> 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 Professionally. <laughs> Professionally, uh, I would say um, keep focusing on the job you're doing today and your success will come. I was a person who was very focused on being promoted, moving up, and I had to quickly learn that. I think I did quickly learn this, but if I could give myself a piece of advice on my first day at my first job, it would be that because it took me two or three years to realize if you're chasing a promotion, it's not going to happen. The day that you focus on the job you're doing and do it really well you will naturally progress. And that's kind of when I would say that was a turning point in my career was being like, okay, I'm a business development rep today. Let me be the absolute best at this. And that is when my career actually started to take off.
0: That's incredible. Thank you for uh, that practical piece of advice. Uh, I think especially (laughs) for for folks that are in in sales, a lot of them are competitive. And with that comes a some level of ambition and and looking two steps beyond. Um, To some extent, I I, I feel that I've I've been there. Um, I still do. Yep. I still
1: have to remind myself like it's good to have in the back of your head. I think it does show ambition and you want to have a goal, mm-hmm. um, but don't let it control your day to day.
0: Yep. Yep. No, this is, this is super helpful. And again, thank you for sharing some very practical advice on what folks can do to, you know, ask the right questions during an interview process. Um, really love that. This is, this is very helpful. Uh, appreciate you being generous with your time and uh, I'm sure all of our listeners will, uh will will, will get some, get some great advice. Uh, uh, great value out of out of listening to this.
1: Thanks for having me. It was a fun conversation.
0: Yeah, likewise.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Minaj.